Another box to box Olympics Tokyo 2020 episode. I'm Alex Ibaseta, your host, and I'm joined by the usual Jesse Parker Humphreys. Sorry, I forgot your name for one second. And Abdul Abdullah. <laughs> How are you two? Mine's harder than Abdullah's because he's got the same name twice. So that's it. You can't go yeah. wrong there, but yeah. I'm not called think- Jesse Jesse, unfortunately. <laughs> I was going to say, I was, I don't know. I think my mom went to like Jesse Jesse or Jesse Abdullah. And I was like, that's not right. <laughs> Why do we all just change our names to the same thing twice? Which please please make, make it, it easy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to say Jesse Jesse from now on. And then Alex Alex. <laughs> or in football, I'm known as Alex Chile because there's like three different owls. So oh, I'm nice. Alex Chile at football. So <laughs> that's something. Um, but yes, anyway, we're here to talk about women's football at the Olympics. Group stages are already done. We have the quarterfinalists. Um, some fun matches so far, I would like to think, in the group stages. Um, a bit of drama, a bit of everything. And of course, Vivian Miedema broke yet another record, scoring the most goals at the Women's Football Olympic Tournament. Well, just one tournament um, ever with eight goals, surpassing the other goats, Christine Sinclair. And obviously... I think we're going to get right into the, the juiciest matchup or at least the best team that I think the three of us can probably agree on. Um, obviously, Sweden, um, they beat the US 3-0 in the opening match, beat Australia 4-2. That was a good match. Um, and then easily beat New Zealand 2-0. Um, the perfect group stage, and I think we predicted that the first episode. We predicted that Sweden will top the group after a one with the US. So I think we're proud of that. Um, but let's get the general thoughts. Obviously, the big game here is is a 3-0 win over the US. Um, Jesse, what did that, I mean, did that surprise you? Or were you kind of, I think we're expecting the win, but a 3-0 win is quite a lot. Yeah, it did. as you said, I mean, I think we've crowed enough about it on Twitter that we did think that Sweden would win, but I was definitely more envisaging kind of, you know, a nervy 1-0 rather than such a, a comprehensive um, victory. And um, Sweden was just able to make the same runs, like both through the centre of um, the US team and um, down the right-hand side. And I think Bayern Munich will be really happy that they picked up Sofia Jakobsen before this Olympic tournament because she's had an absolutely fantastic, fantastic set of games. She's been super impressive. You know, I'm sure we'll come on to the, the US in a bit, but I thought Sweden just didn't look phased at all. And even going into that game, you know, obviously Magda Eriksson missed that one. I think lots of people were a bit like, well, how are Sweden going to be able to manage without her? You know, she's quite talismanic to them, but they did not look phased at all. And, and you know... There were a couple of moments, you know, Kristen Press had a, a great opportunity to make it 1-1 and maybe the game would have been different if that had gone in. But overall, it just felt like Sweden were a class above. And it, it, it kind of, it was complicated for a lot of people to admit that um, rather than it being down to a bad US game. I do agree that, I mean, the, the Americans still had a lot of chances. Um, I think that's undeniable. The team that they are, they're going to get chances on net no matter what. Um, but I think Sweden were just turned on. And that was all without Magda Eriksson on top of that. Um, but Abdullah, what has been the most impressive of the Swedish side so far? I think I, I, I've, liked their, I've liked their team setup. I've liked the way they've, they've set out. Um, I mean, if we remember, go back to the April friendly. And I know that's the one that, you know, that sometimes we keep going back to because obviously it's the most recent one when they played them. But uh, the Sweden played with the three, three at the back in that game. And they managed to hold on for 90, you know, 85, 86 minutes, whatever it was. And then they gave away an unfortunate penalty. And, you know, they, they drew the game. But I think going back to this 4 3 3. You know, uh, I'm playing Aslani is like this free eight, as we as we can call it now, and and then you have the front three of Jakobsen, Blackstenius, and Rolfo. I think for me that combination of those three four players have been absolutely fantastic. I think the defenders, uh, especially at centre back with Ilstead and Bjorn, they surprised me at how they kept the US quiet, especially with no Magda Eriksson there. Um, so and I think I think it just worked out. You got you know Caroline Sager is there as well, who who's who screened the defense extremely well so I think I think what I, what most impressed me is their balance and, and their, their setup I think because they've almost got this perfect blend of enough defensive uh, talent along with attacking intent and players who can interchange and and, and do all those things so and, and we, we saw it throughout the group stage in all the games that they won they've won pretty emphatically pretty uh, in all the games that they've played yeah I think we can agree with that um 
But Jesse, you know, talking about the Swedish side, I think there's a lot of individual players um, that kind of progress the team, if that makes sense. I mean, they, they don't really carry the team on their back. I don't think so. But they have that little spark that helps Sweden a lot. Who has been Sweden's best player for you? Yeah, I think there's been a number of standout players. I think Hannah Glass had a great game against the US. I think Aslani's looked really good. But yeah, as I said, I think Jakobsen has just felt, it feels like she's been really good at making the most of opportunities and when she gets hold of the ball, really like putting them on the plate for Sweden's attackers. You know, something we've always said about Sweden is they they look great, but sometimes they do struggle to score. They struggle to make the most of opportunities. And actually when I was watching them play against Australia, there, there was like some moments where you felt like that was maybe happening again. But um, that moment where Sweden scored their, their opener, even though they'd been kind of under the cosh from Australia for, for most of the, the first half, when Catley just um, gets pulled out of position, Jakobsen straight away is there putting in like a perfect cross. And I just think she's really summed up you know, she's she's a quality player, but I think she just really sums up how like lots of these Swedish players feel like they've just taken that next step, but we don't always feel like we get to see it or get to see it consistently. Um, and I think that's just what we're seeing a lot more of. Yeah, and we, we kind of not kind of picked on her, but uh, Jonah Anderson for Chelsea, she didn't have the best performances for Chelsea, but I think she's been pretty solid for Sweden. I think at one point it was against the Australian game. I think it was a long cross and her first touch was just absolutely amazing. Um, Left foot just pushed the ball in front of her and got across it. I was like, I, wow. Okay. Uh, but Abdullah, uh, and one player that, that also uh, we haven't really seen the best of necessarily in club level injury wise and everything. Um, but Rodfo has been pretty solid for Sweden. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, definitely. I think um, she's kind of surprised me a little bit because, you know, whenever she's played for, um, you know, her club side at, at Wolfsburg, it was always someone that, you know, had talent she can attack, but she's her end product has always let her down, whether it's, a poor, you know, poor shooting accuracy or crossing or whatever it is. It's like you, she gets into great positions. I remember, the, you know, the, the, the first against Chelsea, she she ran past a, past a couple of players multiple times, but, every, you know, when it got to getting that cross in or it got to, you know, shooting against goals, it's just wayward, right? And then that's kind of been the story of, of a role for to an extent and I think the the move to Barcelona has uh, reinvigorated her. I think uh, it's probably given her a lot of motivation to perform now at the Olympics. Like the, the almost the stress of finding a new club is gone. It's confirmed, and it was confirmed early. And I mean, the two goals against Australia is a testament to that. Um, both games against the US and Australia, she's taken six, you know, uh, you know, three six shots, and she's had four on target, which is again, in terms of percentages, is pretty big for her. Um, she had a couple of shot assists in in, in the game against the US. So so, I mean, she's contributed in, in the games that she's been playing and, and from this left-sided uh, position. And I think um, the way that they're playing and, and because Aslani can come in and kind of take in the spaces and the half space and kind of combine with over there, I think it, it just works like a treat for the way uh, for the way she wants to play. I think she's better out wide than she is as a central, central striker. Jesse, are you feeling okay if Chelsea have to face Barcelona again? <laughs> well, if uh, Jonna Anderson can now keep players like Tobin Heath in her pocket like, that yeah sure let's do this (laughs) that's fair enough though um but sweden faced japan in the quarterfinals uh jesse should we expect them to have trouble beating the hosts i think you know i think we saw when japan played team gb that they can be a very effective team at holding on to the ball um they can be they're very organized they can put pressure on players and I thought what they did really well against Team GB was really effectively identifying who those like danger players were and basically putting two two defenders on them but I think ultimately Sweden will, will probably be too too strong for them um, I don't think Japan offer much threat going forward so I think it might just be a case of how long it takes Sweden to break Japan down than anything else Yeah I think that's fair Chile almost had it to be fair um, that one header that may or may not have crossed the ball. Christian Leder had a lot to say about that. Um, but let's not get into that because I will cry probably. Um, but Abdullah, uh, what are Sweden's weaknesses? You know, every team has one. Um, what can be their downfall, this knockout stage? You know, obviously it's it's tough to say, uh, especially when they've had such, a, such an amazing group stage. But I think at the end of the day, it comes... 
it'll come it'll come in the wide areas i think i think they're uh, i think i think they're solid they're solid in the, in the middle whether it's uh Illerstead, bjorn or magda whichever combination them are playing um glass is obviously a pretty pretty balanced player she's been pretty good for uh, for bayern we know yana's weaknesses we know where she struggles and she while well, she's had an amazing olympics so far um i'll be you know, I'll, I'll be, I'll be tempted to see, I'll be, you know, intrigued to see how she. I know, I know that she, she did well against the U.S. Open. He's, she locked her out. Fantastic, great game. Australia, she did something similar, uh, and uh, you know, against Haley Rasso, and then, and then obviously New Zealand is New Zealand. But I'd be interested to see as the tournament goes along and as the better teams, quote unquote, because obviously they've reached that point. So you'd have to call whoever they face a, a really good team. Um, I'd like to see whether they actually go up and 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 test uh, Jan Anderson a bit more and try and push it back. I think Sweden have been had the upper hand because they've been able to play the games at their at the way they want to play the tempo and the pace. So that's allowed the fullbacks and the other players to kind of move around and push forward and where they're a little bit more more comfortable. I'm, I want to see Sweden counterattack and sit off a little bit, and I want to see how they can cope with that because I think that's where maybe the fullbacks are going to have a little bit of an issue defending. If they have to defend more than they have to attack, I think that's where the problem may lie. That's, that's what I think because I think the center backs are, are pretty solid. I think they will they can defend all day, all you know, uh, and, and not have a problem. I think that's fair to say, um, but of course, uh, should Sweden beat Japan? then they'll move on to play the winner of GB and Australia, who we're, we're going to get into now. A great Britain, great, wow, okay, I don't know what I said there. Uh, great Britain, um, Team GB um, obviously topped the group with a 2-0 over Chile, 1-0 over Japan, and a 1-1 draw over Japan, um, Canada. Sorry, I don't know what I'm doing there. But yes, they they managed to avoid Brazil in the quarterfinals, but they do still face the Australians, who we'll, we'll get to in a bit. Um, but Jesse, what do you think of GB's performances through the group stage? Are you hopeful for a medal? Yeah, I think it's been broadly impressive. I think going into it, you know, we kind of acknowledged that this group was um, probably a fairly even to low level. Um, of opposition, like as in GB were in in that same kind of mix of even to low. But I think, you know, you look at some of the results from um, Group F with Brazil, Netherlands, China and Zambia, and that kind of showed that um, it could still be a bit crazy, even if you're playing against weaker opposition. So I thought the performances were very controlled. You know, I think they conceded three shots on target across three games, which is I think a pretty impressive way to set up, especially as you you move into knockout stages of um, of a tournament. And I think also, I think the games got progressively harder, and I think kind of the results reflected that. But I also did think generally the performances got progressively better too, which I also think is a good sign. So, I mean, I think Australia is. I think either Australia or Brazil was a tough draw regardless. And, you know, the, the possibility of Sweden in the semi-final means I won't be getting my hopes up anytime soon, but it's definitely not been as bad as I thought it could be. I think that's a general, um, I think particularly the midfield has impressed me the most um, from what we expected. Uh, but Abdullah, talking about that, what do you think of Hegarisa's approach to formations with the additions of Caroline Weir, Kim Little and Sophie Ingle, who I can say right now, Caroline Weir has definitely been the best player for GB um, so far, I would like to say. I don't know if you guys agree, but that's just me. Um, but Abdullah, what do you think of, of that approach of formations and, and player? I, I, first of all, on Caroline Weir, I think I 100% agree with you. I think she's been my favorite of the three, you know, of the midfielders that they've been playing. I think she's, um, I think, I don't want to say she's, she was underrated, but I think of all the midfielders that were there, she was just one of those that I, we know she's a good player. She's just going to play as she does for Manchester City, but I don't think people realize that this is how good she was. And I think she's, she's, she's caught the imagination of a lot of people. Uh, definitely been my favorite player and, and probably, you know, off this team GB side in terms of formations, obviously she's actually used three different systems across three different games for four, two, three, one, four, four, one, one, and a four, four, two, which um, I kind of like to see that she's at least she's, playing formations based on the opposition that she's coming up against. So there is a tactical thought behind it, right? How can we get the best out of the players that we have against the opposition that we're facing? Now, obviously against Chile, 
it was for them technically the easiest of the three games, right? Quote unquote easiest. Um, and they played a four, two, three, one playing like a Kim Little as a number 10 and you give her the freedom to go and do her thing. She's going to shine and you have like Weir and, uh, um, you know, the, the other two just uh, an angle, sorry, just, just sitting in there and, and kind of protecting the game. You don't need someone who's overly defensive in, in that, in that, in that double pivot, you know, I thought it was Kira Walsh and, and Weir who started that's my mistake. Uh, and then against against Japan again, they went for that four 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 one one, and then they played Sophie Ingle and Kira Walsh, which I think then kind of gave them an indication that okay, Japan a little bit more dangerous. Maybe let's get some you know defensive security in there. But then I think um, one thing I'd like to I want to bring up is I think the one thing that Team GB have to do with this midfield is they need to figure out how they're going to break down teams that have solid midfields and are um, you know structurally you know sound because. I mean, it took them a long time to break down this Japan side, and um, I mean, they, they won it by a goal to nil. But if I look at if I look at the XG, Japan had a zero point seven one XG compared to Team GB's 0.44. That's and yes, I know that they won the game, but that's not a great sign when you're looking at it. Going, the opposition who lost created more quality chances than you, and you have a arguably better midfield, you know, and creative talent in front of you. Okay, against against uh, against Canada. It was a one-one. They played a four-four-two, but then they okay. They had a better. They had a better actually point seven versus point five six for Canada. So I think they improved their back. You know, they went back into a, a more of a four-four-two playing. Um, you know, and that's when you had Weir and then Ingle in there. So I think the the common factor here, back to what you were saying, Alex, is when Caroline Weir plays, GB just look a lot better and freer and smoother in midfield through the transitions and and in terms of creativity because she's like. You know, the, she's she's so good at controlling the game that they they're allowed to play better. Jesse, you finally saw Rachel Daly uh, play as a winger. <laughs> I literally cheered. I when when she came on at right wing, I literally cheered. And then when she played in the Canada game and she wasn't very good, I felt sad. <laughs> yeah, that was that was um, not the greatest. I think one of in terms of formations and kind of personnel, I think one of the things that's kind of not angered me, but just annoyed me a little bit is Lucy Bronze hasn't overlapped as much as you would probably like her to. Um, She hasn't been like involved in the attack as, I mean, that's what Lucy Bronze does. I thought she was the best in the world at one point. Why? Because she would get on goal. She would get crosses in. she would overlap and then she would bust her ass to get back into defense. Um, But GB haven't used her in that. And I don't know if that's just Hegarisa. I mean, she has assisted or pre-assisted three of the four Exactly, but that's what I'm saying. (laughs) She doesn't do that enough though. Because like when she does go up, she gets the assist. But then half the time, she's like, there's so many times when I've seen her take the ball up, carry the ball up until like probably opposition in half. And then she has to stop because... She has no option on the wing because at one point Nikita Peros was like towards the, the penalty box and they had covered that space. And then the midfielders were dropped off just a little bit. And there was a whole space on the right side and she was looking there and then nobody was there. And that's an easy one kind of give and go. And then Lucy Bronze is on the wing again for another cross. Um, so that's kind of, it's been slightly, but yeah, of course she's obviously assisted and, and gotten up. I just don't think it's, it's enough um, because obviously that's a big factor of GP's attack. Um, but anyway, the first half against Canada was a bit shaky, not blaming it on Rachel Daly, obviously. <laughs> um, and their win against Japan wasn't entirely convincing because again, it was a one nil win and it wasn't, I wouldn't say convincing, um, obviously a, a decent win against good opposition. Um, but Jesse, what do you think they need to change for these knockout stages? I don't think it's so much about what needs to change. I think what I am hoping for and looking forward to seeing is maybe just the best 11. Because, you know, I think if you, if Frank Kirby is fit enough to start, then swapping out Stanway for Kirby from that uh, lineup against Chile, I think is GB's best 11. And I think you saw even when Kirby came on against Canada, how immediately more dynamic GB's attack was she made runs within like the last 13 minutes she was on the pitch that no one had seemingly thought to make for for that entire time so I think it the group stage has been a really good base I think you know they've picked up some um, confidence I don't think they've looked great going forward at points but I think there are solutions there um I do, I do get what you're saying, Alex, about 
the bronze thing. I think the problem is is just missing Chloe Kelly. I think it'd be so different if there was an out and out right winger. And it's something we touched on before the tournament is that this squad has a lot of players who might be able to play in that kind of position, but they don't. Whether you're talking about Daly or Paris, sure, they can play there. And I know Paris, you know, has probably played some of the best football at right wing, but ultimately, like, neither of those players do play there. And it's always going to take some time, you know, in the same way it takes a player time if they're coming back from an injury to get match fit, to get used to playing in in that position again. And I think that's probably what we've, we've kind of seen on that side, um, you know, and you compare that then with, like, Lauren Hemp on the left, who looks incredibly threatening um, and exciting. And that's because she's an out and out left winger. So I think that's just a bit of an unfortunate gap in GB's um, squad, really. Um, but, it, you know, it hasn't had to matter yet. And I don't, I think it will be interesting to see because if Australia stick with this 3-4-3 that they've played so far throughout the tournament, there could be, I think, a lot of space around that area. Um, and it will be interesting to see how, if GB can make the most of that. Do you think that Neve Charles should be considered for that position on the right wing as a substitute? Yeah, it would be interesting. I'm kind of surprised we've not um, we've not seen it yet. Yeah. Um, I thought even that it was kind of mad to, for Lucy Bronze to play 270 minutes, but I guess that that was also kind of the nature of the the way those games went. You know, needing the late goal against Japan, needing the late goal against Canada, and she has probably been you know like I I think Caroline Weir's been great, but in terms of like actual match winning impact Lucy Bronze has, has done a lot across across that group stage but um, yeah I just get the feeling that Hegarisa doesn't really trust Neve Charles yet which I can kind of understand yeah I think that's fair but moving on to GB's quarterfinal opponents the Aussies um, Australia uh, New Zealand 2-1 um, lost 2-4 to Sweden and tied 0-0 with US um, I think they did better than any of us expected in terms of results. Obviously, uh, the New Zealand win was expected, but I think they put on a pretty solid game uh, to Sweden, obviously, and then kept a clean sheet against the US. Things that I don't think we would have predicted, maybe, before. Uh, would you have predicted that Australia were, were going to lead Sweden in the group stages? Probably not. Um, but Abdullah, what's something that the Aussies have done so right this tournament so far? I think I think they've been really good at creating chances. I think that's been there. That's been that's in at least from a, from a data perspective. That's been something that they've been they've been they've been doing well. I mean, okay, uh, I, like you said, this New Zealand game was an expected win, but they did create one point. They had an xG of one point five two compared to New Zealand's point two nine, and they took fifteen shots, eight on target, and fifty percent plus minus uh, accuracy. So I think I think in terms of in terms of that getting them, you know, getting them there um, getting those chances created in some way shape or form wherever they you know wherever they do is great even against Sweden they lost 4-2 but actually their XG was higher than, than Sweden's they had a 1.62 XG compared to 1. Sweden's 1.24 fine that means Sweden were a lot more clinical but Australia still had chances you know and and they had eight shots versus Sweden's nine so it's not like they're not able to create too many chances but I feel like um, the Sweden game was a little bit more open obviously considering the, the scoreline and obviously against the US that's okay they struggle a little bit 0.61 versus 0.73 but I, I feel like they're, while they've been able to create chances, I think their shape has been good. Um, but I know we're going to get into this in a second. But I, but I feel like um, they're still lacking someone who is a consistent link between um, who's consistent link to Sam Kerr because teams can just mark Sam Kerr out and then what what like what are you going to do? Like that's that's kind of what teams are saying. Well, mark Sam Kerr now. You figure out how to do the rest. So that's 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 the that's the only other downside so but yeah overall i think i think they've been they've been doing they're better than than we expected and jesse are you satisfied with the kerr ford razo link up that's supposed to be happening um obviously sam curd caitlin ford play well but they're kind of missing that that other right side that that can kind of create that fluid movement that that sam kerr and, and caitlin ford know how to do so well are you satisfied with what you've seen so far between them well, I think kind of the problem is obviously because Russo is playing at wing back basically. And can I just say, I love the way she always rolls her sleeves up. So she's just in a vest. I think that's a great, I great just, Olympics look. I just want to know how it stays like that. I know. <laughs> she's always just out there with a ribbon and her, you know, yeah. biceps. I mean, she, she's impressive. got the arms to do it. So yeah, 100%. 
Um, so, but I think the problem is that, you know, it just doesn't really feel like she works there. And it just always seems a bit of a shame that then you've got Ellie Carpenter playing centre back and it feels like a real waste of someone as, as talented as Ellie Carpenter and then missing out on Rasso going forward a bit. Um, yeah, I want to add to that also. I think Alana Kennedy at centre back is also a waste. Yeah, it, it feels like so. It, it's a bit unfortunate because in some ways you're like the three four three has worked really well for Australia. They've got some great results. They've had some decent performances. Um, but at the same time, you're like it still doesn't feel like it's quite the right fit. But I think um, I thought Caitlin Ford had a very strange game against New Zealand, but I thought she got a lot better as um, as the tournament's gone on. I think um, Sam Code that um, you know. If you put the crosses in, she'll score, even if it is against Magda Eriksson, her Chelsea teammate. And I'm sure Millie Bright will have watched that and and felt a bit nervous. And I think, um, you know, especially in that Sweden game, it felt like Australia did really well to have that kind of third player, whoever it was, drop back and overload Sweden's midfield and then be able to push the ball out wide and get those crosses in for Sam Kerr. I do wonder if GB playing a slightly more dynamic midfield than I think Sweden um, had perhaps in that game, they might find that a bit harder to do. Um, but, you know, I think Australia can be really, really pleased with the the tournament you had. And as you said at the top, Alex, I don't think any of us expected to see these kind of performances and, and these kind of results. Yeah, it's looking promising for the Australians. I think... Um... Our opinions have shifted and, and the expectations in the, the quarterfinal has definitely shifted. Um, but Abdullah, we, we mentioned it briefly there about uh, that creative attacking player that Australia are missing. But what else, you know, obviously the reason why they were, we weren't really expecting much of the Australians was because of their, their lead up to the Olympics. It wasn't most it wasn't the most convincing uh, run, obviously, with COVID. Uh, they got struck a lot. And I mean, they had not to say no an excuse, but like New Zealand and Australia, we knew that there was different factors from um, behind the scenes that were definitely going to take a toll on this team. And, and clearly they've stepped up from that. Um, but what else is missing for the Aussies to kind of settle into their best football? I think, I mean, Jesse, and just touched on it and you both, you just touched on it now. Like I think playing their best, they're playing players in their best position. I think that's, that's gotta be something that's maybe limiting them to an extent. Now, obviously some players are versatile, they can play in different positions, but I, you know, for example, you, especially in a three, four, three, you want Ellie Carpenter, who is excellent going forward to play there and, and, and just kind of wreak havoc on that right wing, you know, right wing back role. And, you could possibly even move, um, you know, Rasso to a right wing position. Maybe that's where she actually becomes a bit more creative, a bit more uh, free from her defensive responsibilities in the sense where obviously she'll still have to defend and, and help Ellie Carpenter, you know, out, especially against TNGB and, and, and moving forward if they do progress. But at least the primary objective is attack and create rather than defend first, whereas from a right wing back is, yes, we're attacking as well, but you also equally have to remember that you are the last defender at that, at the, you know, on that right side. So I think, I think for me, besides the creativity, it's playing players in the, in, in, the, in their right positions. And I think Ellie Carpenter is just one major example where I think if she were to move out there, and if they can find another solution in the middle, I think there is a there is a uh, there's a way forward for them. And, but yeah, like disruptions through the you know it's just a build up and playing like one friendly in April, then playing the next two in like uh, in, in June. Preparation hasn't been great, so I don't exactly you know blame the coach for trying different things like this when he's not had the opportunity to really uh, experiment with this you know over the last during the build up. Jesse, how do you see this Australia GB match going? Um, yeah, I think it's going to be interesting. I think I would broadly say that GB are favourites, but I definitely think this Australia team could win. I think I think that Australian back line is still permeable. And as we've kind of talked about, that it doesn't really feel like the right players are necessarily in the right positions or, you know, they've kind of moved people around to try and make this formation that suits the team as a whole. Um, and I think those gaps at wing back, um, you know, as I said, we saw in that Sweden game, how as soon as Steph Catley stepped out of position, you know, there was loads of space for Sophia Jacobson to run into. I think that's exactly the kind of thing that you can see GB being able to do quite well, you know, with a very fast um, players. But at the same time, 
I do worry about Sam Kerr. And I think even though GB have done very well at preventing shots, there have been some incredibly nervy moments. And the one thing that I found strange about that Hegarisa has done is using three different centre-back pairings across the three games. We saw Ellie Roebuck give the ball away twice against Canada. Um, which was just really bizarre. I don't think I've ever seen her do that in one once in a game, let alone twice. And I wonder if that did speak to a, a bit the the maybe nervousness that you get when you're playing in front of different people every time, and especially obviously because Roebuck and Horton play with each other week in week out. Um, whether having that Bright Williamson pairing was just making her feel a, a bit strange. So I expect we'll go back to the Horton Bright. Pairing would be my guess for the for the quarterfinal and hope that that um, settles GB down a bit. But, you know, I think we've seen how potent Sam Kerr can be as long as she's not taking penalties anyway. Um, and, and that would be a, a little bit of a worry for me. I think I would assume that Bright would step into that role considering her aerial uh, advantage, especially against Sam Kerr, who obviously scored two headers in a row against Magda. So that was great. Um, But moving on to the juiciest matchup so far in the quarterfinals, um, the Netherlands versus the US. And we'll we'll start with the Dutch. So they beat Zambia 10-3. Then uh, tied Brazil 3-3 and beat China 8-2. Um, now, they've managed to score 21 goals in three matches. Um, but attack they have, clearly. Uh, Lika Martens is probably back at her best. Viv is Viv. Um, Shanice Mandesan is there as well, but we'll get into that later. Um, but they've also conceded a few shaky goals. Um, of course, Barbara Banda. <laughs> I mean, we've... <laughs> I think player of the tournament in terms of breakthrough, um, she's been amazing. Um, there's no stopping her, but also a bad back pass from <coughs> Jesse <coughs> Chelsea's new signing, Anik Nguyen, and a questionable defending from Stefan Drigat and Dominic Janssen. Um, and we can just mention her free kick against Brazil um, because I think Shirida Spitze missing from that midfield was um, a big loss for the Dutch, um, but also her free kick uh, abilities were missed as well but obviously Dom said I got this and scored that equalizer against Brazil obviously um but Jesse attacking power um but defensively not the most convincing considering how good this team is do you think it's going to take a toll on these knockout stages uh yeah I fear it will I think before the tournament when we kind of predicted this matchup I was feeling pretty good about the Netherlands um, being able to beat the US and I definitely don't feel as confident right now I just feel like to concede all of those goals is such a worry and not only to concede them but the manner in which they've they've conceded to make so many errors you know like I mean Barbara Banda is amazing um, and lots of those finishes were really good and I think there are plenty of strikers in the Olympic competition who wouldn't who wouldn't have made those finishes but at the same time just in every game it feels like we've seen the the Dutch giving up loads of really good opportunities and I just worry that they, they will be punished for it against the US you know I know the US didn't score in two of the, their games, but I just feel like they will be really ready to to pounce on those mistakes. And I think, you know, we, we talk a lot about how much mentality plays into the US's performances. And I think if you've had as nervy a start to the Olympic tournament as they've had, probably the best thing you could ask for is to be able to watch those Netherlands performances because I just don't see how you don't go into that game and think, yeah, we're going to score. We're going to put them under pressure and they're going to make a mistake because it's happened time and time again. Yeah, and I also think, uh, talking about the defense, I think uh, Sarah Van Vienendal hasn't impressed as as much. Uh, I think she's not as good as she probably should be. Um, I think Cristiano Andrade also isn't, wasn't necessarily the best goalkeeper in the world um, in this tournament. But anyway, uh, Abdullah, how are you finding the Dutch midfield? Obviously, we mentioned that Sharia Spieta had to go home because of injury early on, um, which I think I thought was going to impact the Dutch quite a lot, considering how much of an anchor she is in that midfield. Um, but obviously, Joe Roard slotted into that midfield role, and then Chinese Van den Sanen has found her way back into the starting 11 on the right side. Um, what do you, what do you think of that? 
I mean, admittedly, I haven't watched too much of the Dutch um, in the Olympics just yet, but just based on the performances and based on, you know, what we what, what little I've seen, I think what I like about Shanice Van der Sanden playing at right wing is she just gives you this direct presence of just being this um, almost like a throwback winger, you know, someone who's just going to sit there, take the ball, run down the wing and give you a cross, right? Whereas on the other side, you know, you've got you've got a player who can, um, who's going to kind of come in, drift in, drift out, you know, play around. So whether that's, you know, Dicke Martins or Berenstein, whoever it is, is going to want to play maybe a little bit more century rather than stay out wide. Or out wide. Whereas with, you know, Shanice Van de Sanden, it's, it's, um, it's someone who I... You know what you're going to get from her. And if you need something out of nothing, cool. Throw her out, get the ball to, you know, get the ball out, and then you get across him. With Jill Ward at the base of midfield, I think, uh, uh, or I rather in midfield, I think, I think it's good. What I like about uh, what I like about it, and, and I think Alex, you called it that Jackie Groner will probably slot into that number six uh, six position, which which she which she did at least against the uh, you know against the Chinese, and then obviously against Brazil they played a little bit more of a four one four one. But Groner played it as the deepest one. I think with that being there, it kind of allows Jill Ward to play a little bit more box to box, which I think which I think works well because considering you've got Daniela van der Donk next to her, who's a bit more of a creative controller, you need someone who's going to do some hard running and as and when you've got when you've got someone like Van der Sanden who just wants to attack, you need someone to cover the spaces out wide. I think I think Ward is a really really good um, good asset in, in in that sense. So I think against the uh, against the US and then you know in the next round, I think she's going to have to be a little bit more disciplined. I think she's going to have to track the runs of um, you know of whoever combination, whether it's Lindsay Horan or whoever or, and Rose Lavelle or Sam Lewis and Rose Lavelle, who's going to be playing in midfield. Um, but I think. I'm a little bit more confident in the Dutch three matching up against the the American three uh, more than you know more than more than before after having seen this. But uh, it's gonna they're gonna need be to be a little bit more disciplined, I think, and then not concede these goals. I mean, eight two and ten three is is great, but then when you're conceding three against uh, Zambia and two against China. Is got to ask a couple of questions. Like, all right, why are we conceding goals against teams we're smashing? You know, in terms of the goals going forward. And obviously, Jesse, you touched upon it there about the Dutch getting their revenge against the Americans finally. Um, obviously, their defense hasn't been the most convincing, hasn't been the most solid, uh, but their attack definitely has. And I would like—I I think the Americans haven't been as solid in their defense either. Um, they've been a bit shaky with their their passes coming out. Uh, Julie Ertz hasn't been as convincing. Even Crystal Dunn, um, for Crystal Dunn not to have a good tournament, that, that takes a lot. But how do you think that the Dutch can win this from what you've seen so far? I think probably it's it's two words and it's Viviana Miedemar. Um She's had a great tournament and as you say the She US has like have... seven names so it's not just two. Okay, sorry. <laughs> I haven't put all the other ones in but okay, I'll go with just just the, the famous two. Um, <laughs> um, the US, yeah, haven't looked great defensively. Abby Dahlkemper in particular has looked quite off the pace and you know I think there's some question marks around if um it's Tiana Davison who partners uh Becky Salbram instead for that game but Miedemar's looked on fire you know okay she's partly scored these goals I think because of the quality of some of the opposition she's played against that always you know helps but I think there's going to be a lot of confidence there and I think when you look at the U.S. defense you can bully them at the moment, you know, and I think we time and time again that it, if you let Miedema bully you, like she will, you know, um, she's so imposing. I always think I think always think that's something that's like kind of forgotten about her game because she's so skillful. But I think if you're feeling nervous and shaky, you know, we say it all the time, but but she's got it all. So um, I I think I expect both teams to score. I do, I do worry about the, the Dutch defense. I think that one feels more nervy than the US one. But I feel like, um, yeah, if the Dutch can get the balls into Viv, then you know they can beat anyone on their day. You know, she's she's she is the best striker in the world. So, um, yeah, that's <laughs> that's always a good place to start, isn't it? I think I'm also excited to see Viv in this match in particular because I think um, everyone's kind of vision of Viv is a very calm and happy player. 
Um, but you've seen it a few times, especially the way she's kind of been celebrating these goals um, with the team. I think she's really fired up. Um, and obviously against the Americans, I think it's going to be an angry Viv coming out to play. And I don't think, yeah, I think she can definitely get at the defense and start bullying them. <laughs> Jesse just did a, a very impressive um, impression of angry Viv at the moment. Um, kind of like a, an angry Kylian Mbappe pose. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I am excited to see kind of angry Viv and, and kind of see her be unstoppable, really, because I think when you put the calm Viv that is, also, that is already skillful, that, that's kind of composed in the head, she's calm-minded, she just gets the goals, you mix that up with anger and kind of... Uh, motivation to just do the best she can in any circumstance. I think that's going to be really impressive. Um, but switching over to the U.S. just for a little bit, not too much. Don't worry, fans. Of our listeners of the podcast, don't worry. We're just a little... Um, anyway, um, so the U.S., um, not the expected tournament for the quote-unquote best in the world um, with just one win from three. Obviously, a 3-0 loss to Sweden, a 6-1 win over New Zealand, and a 0-0 draw over the Australians. Jesse, thoughts? I mean, I think generally it's gone as ba- about how I expected. You know, we've, we spoke before the tournament about how we felt, you know, there'd been games where they'd played quite well, but there'd been games, you know, in the lead up to this where they'd looked off the pace, where they'd struggled to link up. And I think we also flagged that you know there are lots of players in this team who've not had much game time like looking at that the lineup against Sweden you've got um Press Heath Lavelle not, like all of whom have like barely played over over the past couple of months um Julia Ertz obviously came on at half time as a supposed savior even though she's not played for months so I think they've just looked like a set of players who aren't really match fit, who don't, who aren't really very switched on. And then I think the problem is, is the players around them then kind of who, who maybe have do have that match fitness know that, and you you get these kind of like ripple effect of like people starting to not trust each other within the team, which is again like the opposite of what we're used to used to seeing from the US. So it has been um, a bit of a bizarre set of games you know Sweden like again we mentioned it at the top but I I thought like Sweden might be able to scrape a win but the US just looked you know there was like no tracking back there was no pressing on the ball they've prided themselves for years on being like they're the fittest team they're gonna go right to the end um and you know I think thinking back even to that World Cup semi-final against England which is obviously like deeply sadly embedded in my mind that was like a a real case there where I felt like there were real moments where England seemed like they had the quality but ultimately the US could just keep going and going and going and that just like ground England down and so there was like nothing they felt like they could come back from but that just doesn't really seem to be there. And yeah, I can't figure out if it is kind of the selection, you know, relying on these older players who haven't played as much. It has surprised me a bit um, because, you know, like Lynn Williams <laughs> always looks good and really struggles to, to get game time. You know, Christy Mewis has looked great when she's played for the US recently and again has like got on the pitch a little bit, but it feels odd to be handing these opportunities, starting opportunities to players who, you know, have either been coming back from long-term injury or just have barely played over the, over the past six months or so. So, yeah, I mean, you can't write them off ever. Obviously there's still loads of quality there. And as I say, I think they'll have licked their lips at some of those um, clips of the Netherlands. But I think even if they, if they don't win gold, um, I think it will be, you know, it would have been a disappointment anyway if they didn't win gold. But you can go to a tournament, I think, and not win gold and still feel like you've performed really well. And I think unless they win and have the opportunity to kind of erase these performances by doing so, um, they will walk away from this tournament, I think, with a lot of the sheen having as a side. Yeah, going back on the component of in terms of like relying on older players um, against Australia, obviously that was a nil-nil kind of game. And in the 74th minute, Vladko put Carly Lloyd on. And I was like, 
is Carly Lloyd, the now Carly Lloyd, the player that you want to be substituting on with 15 minutes to go and you need a result? No, but Alex, they wanted to draw that game. It was part of the plan. <laughs> okay, true. To draw. Okay, okay, to, okay. Uh, The master plan. The because master obviously, plan. if you've had a nervy start to the tournament, the best way to get back into it is to have a nil-nil draw against a team you should almost certainly be able to beat. Yeah, I guess that's right. That, that, it's mind games, isn't it? Yeah, it's the Dutch. I guess the Dutch are going to come in a little, a little bit more confident now that the, the US drew no no to Australia. Um, but yeah, we, we've talked about it a little bit um, in terms of what's kind of going wrong for the US. Obviously, their defensive shape hasn't been as solid as we've seen previously. Um, I think I would like to think that this match in particular against the Dutch and the the U.S. is that it's going to be mainly in the midfield. Um, what I've noticed so far with the U.S.'s tournament is that they like to take the ball away in the midfield. They like to regain possession in the midfield, uh, particularly Roosevelt, who can has the energy forever and ever and ever. She's like a Duracell rabbit, one of those like in the commercials. Um, she has the energy to go on forever, and basically, she's the main person who's going to get the who's going to regain possession in the midfield. And then once again, re, re, uh, possession, she usually knocks it back to Ertz, who knocks it out to, to Tobin um, or Rampino, who's ever on the wing. That's what I've found so far. So I think that midfield battle is going to be quite important. Um, but then again, uh, we, we saw it in the World Cup final. We saw um, Berenstein and Viv switch positions, and that gave Viv room to drop into the midfield um, to regain the ball and, and kind of move the ball a bit quicker. Um to, get the the kind of because obviously Julie Ertz was on Viv that that um, game which I doubt was going to happen again Um, because obviously I think the Dutch study that knowing Serena Vigman she's probably going to study that game over and over again and and kind of go off of that but obviously it's a new coach Um, but yeah I think the midfield battle is going to be the most important in this Um, obviously Jesse you mentioned you know getting balls up to Viv is going to be probably the most crucial part of this entire thing Um, which whether it be Lique whether I mean Lika Martins could also could also be the difference here. If if everyone's on Viv, that means Lika has a space to dribble inside and take a shot on, like she did against Chelsea in the Champions League final. Um, Abdullah, but um, talking about the Americans again, where has it been going wrong? You know, obviously you mentioned defensively, but it's been other side of the pitches as well. Um, so what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I, I think I think we've, we've spoken enough about defensively. My actual thing was going to say was the chance creation. You know, like that's putting the six-one aside against um, you know against against New Zealand. They've struggled to create chances. They've they had no goals against Australia, no goals against Sweden, um, and and like like you guys said, this just could be a ploy to just make the Dutch feel superior. And then they get there, and then suddenly they're like, "Hi, we're back. We're just we're just kidding around." No, but like. I'm reading, I'm reading a couple of stats here. Julie Ertz, after four games, has their highest chance chances created. And I mean, that's saying something considering she didn't even start the first game. She's she's coming back from injury and she's playing as a defensive midfielder. I mean, when, and then Tierra Davidson has had their second highest tied with Megan Rapino. So when you've got a center back and a defensive midfielder with your highest created chances in five, five and four each, it's a little bit of a problem, right? When you've got Morgan, Dunn, Press, O'Hara, Lavelle, uh, Lindsay Horan, Tobin Heath, and Carly Lloyd all between one and three chances created. It's 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 grim reading. And 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 Rapino isn't one who's going to move around and run around a lot. She's like more of a, you know, I'm going to hang around in one area and then I'm going to make sudden movements to where I need to go. And you can't rely on that for the next three four games to get you to a final and, and to get onto the podium. So. For me, it's it's that chance creation going forward is where they they've really lacked. And and just kind of go back onto your point of. Uh, uh, you guys' point of they, you know, they're playing players who maybe haven't had the minutes. I think it's just this over reliance and experience and over reliance on all oh, these are the players that have bailed me out in the last you know four, five, six years. Oh, well, hopefully they're just going to do it one more time, one more time. And I think there's this there's a little bit of a gap between the next generation being ready to play versus the current end of the current generation to kind of go. I don't think there's that confidence in some of the top players retiring at Carly Lloyd or, you know, Megan Rapino, those, those lot going away and having sufficient backup. So I think it's maybe it's, it's a little bit of that going, can I trust the younger players right now at the biggest stage to do what these, you know, these players have done over the last year. So it's my reading of the situation. 
there's not a lot of young players that have been playing. Obviously, Tierna Davidson has probably been the only young player on the pitch. Uh, Katarina Macario has been in the squad. Uh, she wasn't in the in the team squad, I think, for the Australia game. So I don't she know. She came on one game. She she came on in the game against. I'm just trying to check. She came on against New Zealand for about six minutes. Yeah. So I mean, when you're putting in a, a player on in the 74th minute, I would like to have Macario. Um, who's been pretty solid for Leon uh, in the few games that she's actually been able to play um, over Carly Lloyd. But anyway, we'll, we'll see how it goes. And I think other than the football, obviously, Jesse, you mentioned a bit of the mentality. Um, the U.S. mentality is, I mean, it's it's undeniable. It's probably the best mentality in the world in terms of how they're able to kind of just always want to win. And if they don't win, that's it. Like that's that's the worst that they could do. They failed basically without actually looking at the other results or, or kind of the football that they played, for example. Um, so I think mentality could play a part here. Maybe it go against them because they know that they can beat the Dutch, like they did in the World Cup. Um, but who knows? We'll see. I, for one, I'm very excited for this. Um, but we're gonna move on for the last quarterfinal, which is against um, Canada Brazil, which I think could be a decent game, uh, considering the level that that they both are at. I think they're very similar in terms of one day they can be really, really good if they wanted to. And the other day, they're not the greatest. Um, I think they're both inconsistent um, with how they play football and, and kind of the level that all the players are at, at one giving time. Um, but obviously, Canada was runner, runners up of their group. 1-1 um, draw against with Japan, 2-1 against Chile, and a 1-1 draw with GBA. And Brazil, obviously, a 4-4 draw with the Dutch, a 5-0 win over China and a 1-0 win over Zambia. <laughs> Sorry, I had not written that down there. Uh, but Jesse, what are your thoughts on Canada's group stage performances? Yeah, I think I probably expected a little bit more from Canada. They suffered a lot from conceding like on in games. They don't really seem to have um, the ability at the moment to, to close out leads which I think will be a bit of a worry because I think Brazil have shown kind of they can really rampage through teams if they want but yeah it feels like with Canada and maybe this is always going to be the problem because of the the quality of the player but it feels like everything's always focused on going through Christine Sinclair and then the problem is is that that doesn't necessarily give you enough options further forward I don't think any of their um Further forward attacking options are great. Um, I always find Janine Becky incredibly hit and miss. Um, I think Adriana Leon seems like such a fun person, but you know, she plays at West Ham, and I feel like that's probably a bright level for her to play at. So again, you know, is that really the the level you want? Um, I've seen more of the other Nichelle Prince, who seems to generally be being preferred to, but I again I think both of those players probably aren't quite where you'd want them to be across these um the competition so yeah i think it just feels like ultimately canada are probably still kind of transitioning i think we also in the gb game how good ashley lawrence can be if you give her some space so there's there's lots of opportunities there and i think this game between brazil will be very and Abdullah, obviously, uh, do you think Marta can lead her team to victory? And what I mean by that is that obviously she's the most, one of the, well, obviously, bar Formiga, um, she's one of the most experienced uh, players on that team. And kind of the passion that she has for the national team is, un- is like undeniable and, and it's very impressive. But do you think that she can, you know, we talked, Brazil has has pretty good players. I mean, they're Brazil, they're always going to be Joga Bonito, um, no matter what. But do you think Marta can kind of get everyone into that headspace and, and bring their level up? Um, do you think she can lead them to victory over Canada? I mean, we talked about this in the preview pod, right? That, you know, when it comes to Brazil, you're going to, you know, you, you want your experienced players to lead the younger ones through. And that's what we thought that they're going to rely on in this in this tournament. And they got through the group stages, they've qualified, which I think is is obviously step one complete. And I think that is that is definitely something that they wanted to achieve and they did it. And I, they did it with the experience that everybody, that everyone's there. I think Marta, yeah, I think so. I think she's just, she's one of those, she's, I think she's, if not the most, one of the most influential captains of any team in, in football right now. She's 
so the passion she has on the pitch is not even just from the way she speaks and the way she conveys her message it's literally how she plays on the pitch that players are like oh you know leading by example we need to step up our game and, and she's not afraid to, to, to tell players that listen you're not playing well you need to do this you need to do that so when it comes to such a such an intense, important game, especially for Brazil, who I think would be extremely happy getting past Canada and, and going to the next round. And I think for them, that would be like, okay, a successful Olympics. I mean, they probably won't say that, but, you know, realistically, considering the other clubs, uh, countries that are there, I think, I think, I think she can do it. I, I mean, like, like, like Jesse said, Canada haven't been the most impressive in the group stages. I think we expected more from them. And we even said that they, the quality of players that they have, you expect them to be, um, to be doing better, but so I mean at this at this stage it's literally 50 50 I, I really think it could go either way, and um, but but the but the you know it's it's almost like Marta, Marta versus Christine Sinclair which experienced head is gonna rally their you know their troops forward and, and get them through. And Jesse, you spoke about Canada there and kind of their their lack of a few things and and their kind of inconsistency and and some of their top players, Jenny and Becky in particular. But what do you think of Brazil? Yeah, so I only watched the Brazil-Netherlands game. Um, but for me, Brazil, um, I think something that's kind of impressed me has been their physicality. Um, and I think that's something that will probably give them the upper hand over this Canada team. I don't think Canada necessarily have the same kind of bite and fight that I feel like this Brazilian team do when combined with the kind of quality that they've got there um i think the the brazil goalkeeper is a bit of a a bit of a worry and that will be like maybe a bit of a red flag but i think ultimately it feels like brazil can be kind of like agents of chaos whereby they <laughs> kind of like fuck shit up but like keep control whilst they do that and I just wonder if Canada won't necessarily have the nous to be able to deal with all that going on and then you've got Marta and Dabinia like popping up like ta-da <laughs> we're gonna score so <laughs> that's my that's my top analysis and uh, Abdullah you kind of said there was 50-50 but give me your flat out prediction of, of who's gonna win on the day Oh, you know what? Um, I still have hopes for Canada, so I'm going to say Canada. That's fair. I think that's fair. Um, but that leads us to our own predictions. We're going to do kind of a quick fire of predictions. I guess I'll start with mine. Um, so GB Australia, I would like to say GB. Sweden, Japan, Sweden. Netherlands, USA. I'll go with the Dutch. Um, because I, I'm doing what I'm doing what we said in the first part. I'm putting the energy out there. Manifest. We've got to manifest. We're manifesting the energy. So the Dutch are gonna go through. Uh Canada, Brazil. I think I'll give Canada the edge. Uh just I don't know. Anyway, GB Sweden. I'm sorry, but GB's done there. Netherlands, Canada, Netherlands, Netherlands, Sweden. I think Sweden's momentum is going to be too good at this point that the Dutch won't be able to to keep up with it. Um, but you never know, obviously. Um, things can happen. But yeah, so Sweden gold, Netherlands silver. And I'll go, I'll give Team GB the bronze. All right, Jesse, you go. Yeah, I'll say um, GB, Sweden, the Netherlands. I'm going to speak it into existence again. But I do think Brazil will have too much for Canada. But I would agree that I think it will be probably a Sweden-Netherlands final one. And I would give it, to, I, I think I gave it to Netherlands before the tournament, but I think I'd give it to Sweden now. Um, but also a Netherlands-Brazil rematch of this for the semi-final from that group stage game would will be so tasty if that happens. So I'm, I'm going to back that. All right, Abdullah. All right, I'll go with GB. I think, I think GB should take that one. I'm Sweden, obviously. Uh, I, th- I think that I think I'll, I'll join it. Dutch, Dutch to beat the US uh, all the way. Let's let's do it. And then, uh, like I said, I think I think Canada just has the edge. I think it'll be a close game, but I think Canada just about. I, I see a one nil or a two one written all over it. It's it's like going to be a very very intense game. And then, um, if we have to talk about the uh, if we talk about gold, silver, and bronze, I'm I'm wrapping the Swedes all the way from from pod one. If it's a pod to pod winner, we finish. I'm going Sweden. For gold, uh, held to leather. That's happening there. I'll give the I'll give the Dutch the silver, and I'll give Team GB the bronze. But uh, yeah, that's probably my top my three. Or manifesting good vibes here. 
good vibes into the world. Unless you're American. <laughs> I'm deleting that from the pod. You can't say that publicly. <laughs> no, I keep that on the DL. I'm Chilean. I'm Chilean. Yeah, we don't speak of that. Um, <laughs> I have Chilean passport. That's what matters. It's fine. But yes, anyway, we hoped you enjoyed this episode of Box to Box Tokyo 2020. All quarterfinals will be played on Friday, July 30th uh, with a kickoff every single hour from 9 a.m. UK time, which is great. We've been double screening for the entirety of this tournament, um, which has been absolutely amazing, Um, especially with shaky coverage behind um, paywalls and BBC coverage and, and kind of pullouts last minute. It's been wonderful. Um, but not complaining, not complaining. Just a little bit. The Eurosport player is actually really annoying. Uh, follow our official Twitter account at BoxBoxWSL to keep up to date with all information and updates about the podcast. Um, you can find our individual Twitter handles there as well. Obviously, WSL season coming up soon. So we're, I think we're going to start uh, season two of the podcast officially quite soon, which is exciting. Um, maybe for us. I don't know if it's for you guys, but hopefully it is. <laughs> um, but yes, we'll see you soon. And I hope you guys enjoy all the quarterfinal matches, which should be pretty good. Cheers, guys. Take care.